This is season six of the Mini Culture Podcast. This season, we are focusing on Minnesota history. These pictures of the Minneapolis truck driver's strike, typical of disorders flaring up in various cities. I'm a woman come to speak in tongues of dust. We're going to meet activists who influenced our culture. That just really struck me, and it was like planting a seed. We'll explore the future of our natural history. And we say Ashkigin, new growth. And those things are needed and uh, the forest needs to fire it. And we'll fall down some truly weird rabbit holes. How many pounds of cheese do you guys normally have in production at one given moment? Somewhere between a quarter and a half a million pounds of cheese. We'll be tracing all sorts of histories to better understand how we got to the Minnesota we know today. Had either one of them not fulfilled their part of the bargain, mail wouldn't exist today. And trust me, as a black Eritrean immigrant, I've got some questions. So sit back, turn up the volume in your headphones, and get ready. It's all coming up this season on Mini Culture. I'm your host, John Gebertatios. The Twin Cities metro area used to be freckled with amusement parks. Minnesotans 100 years ago flocked or rode trolleys to these parks to ride roller coasters, play carnival games, and gawk at special touring acts. It may seem quaint from today's perspective, but at the time, they would have been witnessing a technical revolution. KFAI reporter Matthew Schneeman looked into two amusement parks, Wildwood and Wonderland, and how they ushered in the 20th century with fanfare, fires, and newly invented forms of fun. On a cold February morning, I was driving from St. Paul to White Bear Lake. I wanted to learn about the amusement parks of yesteryear. During the turn of the century, amusement parks swept the nation and Minnesota was not excluded. The metro area was freckled with them. Antler Park, Excelsior Park, Big Island Park. But two in particular really stood out to me. Wonderland, a four square block amusement park right in the middle of South Minneapolis and Wildwood Amusement Park, a far flung but recently streetcar accessible pastoral retreat in White Bear Lake. These two parks are very different, but very much linked. They tell the story of how Minnesotans both embraced and fled from the explosive changes that happened in the Twin Cities in the early 1900s. My first stop was Wildwood. I, I am cruising down Highway 36, going 60 miles an hour, a conservative speed to some, but 100, 100 plus years ago, it would have been incredible. Just being able to get there in the first place would have been incredible. In 1889, the Twin Cities Rapid Transit Company built a streetcar line out to White Bear Lake. To encourage ridership, they built Wildwood Amusement Park. So they created both a place to go and a way to get there. Two things not universally accessible to most city dwellers at the time. And people seemed pretty excited about it. The accounts in the newspapers, people really thought it was incredible that they would be able to jump out of the the humid, busy, kind of dirty St. Paul and all of a sudden be in this beautiful pastoral escape by this magical electric streetcar feeling like they were living in the future. 
I mean, like... It's... I feel like I'm living in the future. People will look back at, look back at us in 100 years and <laughs> they're like, your computer can tell you how to get there. How come your computer's not driving? Not north big. On Century Avenue, Northeast County Line Road, north toward Wildwood Road. Wildwood Road, there we go. Wildwood was first a picnic area where people would host events, things like company parties. But after the Twin Cities Rapid Transit Company took over, it became an institution from 1889 to 1932. I found many articles praising Wildwood, saying things like, every day sees hundreds of family picnic parties enjoying merry times at Wildwood, but also an abundance of references to Wildwood in the public bulletin section, where people announce social events and picnics. The annual Bethel picnic will be given at Wildwood. Mrs. George Walters is chaperoning a party at Wildwood. The dressmakers of St. Paul to the number of 35 spent Thursday at Wildwood. There were so many daily references to Wildwood, it made it hard to search for more interesting articles. But despite all this, the park and local memory of it has almost entirely disappeared. The name, however. I rolled into a white bear and here's a uh, auto shop called Wildwood Service. Okay, thank you, see you tomorrow. Okay, see you then. Hey, hi, I got a weird question. This auto shop yep. uh, is named Wildwood Service, mm-hmm. uh, presumably after the amusement park. Well, it's actually named after the road. I mean, it's all possible that the street's named after it. I mean, because half the stuff in this neighborhood is Wildwood. I guess it all is possible. I, I guess I wondered why everything was named Wildwood, but I just assumed they named it all after the street. Yeah. But uh, definitely news to me. Thanks. Sure. Have a good day. What happened to Wildwood? Important enough to be named after, but not remembered. I went to the White Bear Lake Historical Society for some context. Hello. Hello. Yes. Can you say uh, your name and your title? Sure. Uh, My name is Rihanna O'Brien, and I am the current associate director of the White Bear Lake Area Historical Society. The main reason people don't remember Wildwood is obvious. It's just not there. Is it common for people to not know about the amusement park? I'd say you have about a 50-50. Mm-hmm. Wildwood Amusement Park, from my recollection, took like 2,000 feet of shoreline. I mean, it was a huge chunk. And as soon as the park kind of dissipated, and actually the majority of the stuff burned down eventually, it was all <laughs> subdivided and, and, and sold for quite a good price. You, you try to imagine what it would have looked like looking across the lake, and it's hard to see sometimes, but it was a huge attraction in this area. What was Wildwood? Part bucolic retreat, part carnival with the debut of the Tilt-A-Whirl, and part venue with a dance pavilion that hosted nightly music with big bands. And if that wasn't enough, they also had incredible spectacles. A 1906 ad for Wildwood in the Minneapolis Journal describes the Great Fire Show, a performance that recreated the Great San Francisco Fire. The ad continued. Other attractions, laughing gallery, bathing, boating, hooligan slide, dancing, figure eight toboggan. By figure eight toboggan, they mean a roller coaster. And in two years, it will have burned down. Another fire halted a hot air balloon ascent, but it was okay because the greased pig contest that took place instead was, quote, 
more amusing than anything else on yesterday's program. But for me, the most striking spectacle they hosted was a diving pony. A pony would be led up a ramp and trained, or perhaps coerced, to trot off into a tank of water a considerable distance down below. Wildwood was a strange mix, an escape from the second industrial revolution, the heat and pollution of the fast-growing cities, but also an embracement of the thrill of those same elements, electric lights and an electric streetcar. Wildwood, I mean, people had their company picnics there. You'd have large groups of employees and this was their reward and they could bring their families and their kids. I have a couple oral history reports where the local kids knew when these these big company picnics were happening and they'd join in because no one could prove that they weren't somebody else's kid. Um, and so they'd, they would crash. <laughs> yep, so they would crash the parties. What I noticed most in my research was the emphasis on the natural beauty of Wildwood, sometimes in comically flattering terms. The St. Paul Daily Globe summarized the annual mail carrier's picnic, which took place at Wildwood. At the end of the day, one of the supervisors gave a speech. I read a portion of it to Rihanna. Tomorrow, in place of this eating called Wildwood, we shall find ourselves in the busy haunts of men. These secluded walks will be replaced with the crowded streets. But as the orb of the daylight sets, our thoughts will wander back to Wildwood, where should dwell the doves that do attend Cupid's warm commands when friendship grows to love, to Wildwood, where virgin lilies bathe their beauties in the lake, to Wildwood, where closed the day too soon. That is a, a wildly romantic uh, a description of, of, of Wildwood Amusement Park, and people certainly had a way with words. <laughs> What do you, this one alludes to basically the contrast of city living to coming out for this. I mean, he literally uses the word Eden, um, kind of like Eden-like escape. Uh, do you think that was the main draw or? Well, you have to imagine, too, that these particular time periods, cities were, you know, crowded, dusty. Uh, think about air quality, uh, what they used for fuel, even to heat your house. Um, you have to imagine that it would be, to coming out to this area would be kind of a breath of fresh air. I definitely see it as an oasis for a lot of people, um, especially at that time period. Even now, it still seems pretty appealing. In, in my mind's eye, I see Wildwood as, you know, you've got this whole area where it's, it's beautiful land, the wind is blowing, you have this fabulous breeze. Just being able to hear the music on the water. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the steamers. I mean, we had, uh, there are stories that they had giant bands, huge brass bands that would just circle around the lake and play so that people could hear them. That's an image. But there's always a story too that there was one steamer uh, called the White Bear, and it did actually burn and sink into the lake. So what is with all these fires? You know, there's <laughs> things are built a lot different now. That's all I can say. There were a lot of fires at Wildwood. The bathhouse burnt down. The steamer burnt down. A kitchen fire in the dance pavilion made that burn down. A roller coaster burned down. Uh, but yes, absolutely, there was tons of tons of issues <laughs> with fires. Um, think about how volatile electricity was at the time, if it was even at that time. It seemed like at that period, if you could afford it, you'd put it anywhere because it was such a spectacle. 
Right. And there was also references to people that were also terrified of it as well. So um, sometimes you, you had houses that actually waited a longer time because they didn't know whether or not it was reliable. So if you want to be dramatic, you could say that what happened to Wildwood was it burnt down. And a large amount of it did, but really it disappeared because of the very thing that made it prosperous, transportation. Wildwood was run by a streetcar company, and when car cars came onto the market, ridership plummeted. But for a moment, much more than a moment, almost 40 years, it had its time in the sun. And in that sun, gender barriers were being challenged. I read an article that was about women learning to swim. Women specifically because previously, the swimsuits that were deemed appropriate for women were far too cumbersome for any practical swimming. However, during Wildwood's time, women created new swimming suits, suits to actually swim in. They started to have swimming classes, um, specifically done by the American Red Cross. Hmm. Um, and they would come out and teach anybody who wanted to learn because there were people that drowned every summer. There's accounts of people um, drowning in lake because they didn't know how to swim. I thanked Rihanna and left. I had another interview that day with someone who had more experience with swimsuits from that time period. Here's the women's bathing suits. <laughs> My grandma. We were looking at some photos of the quote-unquote controversial swimming suits. Uh, my name is Mary Jean Kelly Schneeman. Matthew is my grandson, my favorite grandson. <laughs> my grandma has photos of her parents in those swimming suits, my great-grandparents. They were all alive during the height of Wildwood. The photos have the date written in shorthand. Apostrophe 16, which to me looks like 2016. But no, that photo was 1916. That's my mother and my dad. But my mom and dads were not attractive at all. <laughs> oh, those ones. That, and not only they, they smelled when they took them off because it was like wool. <laughs> wool or flannel were often used. The thickness prevented transparency to avoid a wet t-shirt effect. I found an article talking about how uh, shocked people are that women are dressing scandalous. Oh, and yeah. that image right there is the scandalous. <laughs> I got my grandma to read a bit of the article. Robust young womanhood, the, the art, art of swimming. The old Mother Hubbard idea is gone forever and the neatly fitting, well-constructed bathing costume was taking its place in the feminine wardrobe. Some few women knew how, how to swim and persisted in swimming despite such restrictions as hedged the pastime. Proves merely that the sex is not to be debarred of its pleasures by the dictum of unreasoning prejudice shows that the old world do move. There are few states so favored by nature as Minnesota in the matter of beautiful lakes. Take Wildwood, for instance, this delightful beach. Oh, there's somebody walking through my backyard. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I thought that was a, a car. Well, oh, maybe, maybe he's cross-country skiing. I don't know. My grandma and I then got a bit distracted by her interloping neighbor. But the point is, her parents, like many Minnesotans, went up to Wildwood as an escape. But what exactly 
were they escaping? At this time, there was a very new, very dangerous, quite controversial type of industrialized, mechanized labor. This is Katie Thornton. I am a journalist with a a specialty in, in history. She has studied how standardization, mass production, also electricity, telephones, how all these things played into amusement parks of the day. This was a type of labor that was relatively new. It was bringing people to urban centers, which is why we see a lot of amusement parks cropping up all over the place. There were health, environmental, and just physical risks in this time of change in the work that came with it. Wildwood was an escape from it, but one park in South Minneapolis embraced it and showed the exciting side. Wonderland. You know, this was not necessarily the intention of amusement parks, but it sort of introduced a lot of the same technology, like literally the same technology, in a space that was just really fun. And that was people sort of break from the doldrums of factory work. And it sort of familiarized them and gave this sense that, you know, yeah, there's danger here, there's a risk here, but that isn't inherently bad. It was dangerous. In 1878, in Minneapolis, the Washburn A. Mill, a flour mill, exploded, killing 18 workers and leveling the seven and a half story building. The changing world asked for people to work in these dangerous pre-OSHA jobs for long hours. What did the workers get in return? Wonderland, in a way, provided an answer. A giant tower of lights lit up the night, and people from different races, classes, and gender came together to go on rides, watch touring acts of acrobats and dancers. It was all new. And there's a freedom in that. But more directly, like the World's Fair, these parks were offering a literal future. Katie told me about one attraction. It's a bit strange from today's mindset. The, the most popular exhibit at Wonderland was the Infantorium. As an exhibit, people could view prematurely born babies. Hospitals at the time didn't have neonatal intensive care units. What the Infantorium did was use a pretty simple technology, an incubator technology, to keep these babies alive. And it was funded by the contributions, by the entrance fee of the people who were coming to see these babies. Basically, they would come and look in these little glass cubes at these very, very, very tiny infants. And this is like the most brazen example of amusement parks as a space of just like Look what's possible with American technology. You have never seen a child this small. It, for all intents and purposes, is impossible for this child to survive. And yet, we are making it possible. Wonderland closed in 1911, and therefore, so did the Infantorium. Uh, Wonderland did not last very long. Do you know what happened to the Infantorium? Um, It also stopped, is my understanding. It would really be until like almost mid-century that it became very common to treat newborn, uh, I'm sorry, very premature babies in a hospital setting. It wasn't even just like when the infantorium closed that there wasn't a place for babies to go. But in the off season, like when the amusement park was closed, there were babies who only survived because they happened to be born in this 
late spring, summer, and early fall. Yeah. Um, my brother was born, uh, I think he was like two pounds. <laughs> and, wow. And he was yeah. very premature. So like this is um, actually kind of spooky. These amusement parks were such a mix. Wildwood promised an escape from the fast-growing city, but was a success due to the electric trolley, lights, the industrial feats like the roller coaster. Wonderland promised an exciting and accessible future for working people, but in many ways couldn't rise above the present and the status quo, the presence of minstrel shows being one example. Like the fact that those performances were still taking place in these spaces just really demonstrates that although they were liberalizing spaces, these amusement parks, there was an inherent limit to their liberalization. Though minstrel shows were common in St. Paul, Minneapolis, the metro area, they didn't go unchallenged. The Appeal, a black newspaper, criticized the practice in 1915, saying, the Appeal has always opposed minstrel shows and has recently called attention to the misrepresentations of the colored people often given in public schools and churches by white people. The early 1900s was a period of great change and one of bursting potential. But both change and potential just describe energy, not morality. It would take years for working conditions to be safer, environmental pollution from those factories to be regulated, years for women to get the vote, for black Minnesotans to have amusement parks and other entertainment that didn't host minstrel shows and other forms of racism. And these issues are far from being resolved even today. But still, these parks did offer a literal shining light that perhaps didn't promise equity, but did deliver on excitement. First of all, like if you think about how you get there, you're taking a trolley, which was still relatively new. You're traversing this city that's lit by dim gaslight, if it's lit at all. And then you arrive at an amusement park like Wonderland. And there's kind of the same technology, the same sort of rail technology. And it's like throwing you through the air at 45 miles an hour. And there's a tower of 25,000 electric light bulbs. And like, that is a fundamentally different way to experience the world than would have been possible, you know, in, in recent history. Wildwood, just like Wonderland, had bright lights and roller coasters, but it was out of the city, more spacious. I mean, you could go fishing if you wanted. Instead of being inside the Industrial Revolution, you could watch it from a safe distance. Rihanna O'Brien showed me a picture of the dance pavilion at night. Exactly, that's one of my favorites. It's kind of... Um faded and, and a little beat up, but in this picture, if you can imagine, it's Wildwood at night and it's all lit up and you can see the reflection in the water. Here's your pavilion. I can just imagine sitting from the shoreline and watching people dance and listening to the music and hearing, um, hearing people just being happy. Yeah, and that echo on, on, on a still night, that would be... That'd... Pretty amazing. Again, over-romanticized view of it, but that's what I always think. 
We're living through a third industrial revolution. The first industrial revolution was based on steam power. It helped us move things. The second was electricity and interchangeable parts, and it helped us make things. And the third, the one that's happening right now, is information technology, and it helps us manage things. Move, make, manage. There are lessons we could learn from the second industrial revolution, the one Wildwood and Wonderland were in. One lesson I hope we learn is, you hit what you shoot at. Wonderland showed that you could save a baby's life with the infantorium, but they were aiming for ticket sales, not reliable healthcare. We should pay attention to what we're shooting for with our technology. Another lesson? These parks celebrated the potential of industrialization. Minnesotans back in the day were awestruck by the raw power, yet didn't, perhaps couldn't, imagine just how powerful these machines and factories really were. Powerful enough to warm the entire world. And finally, after researching this piece, one lesson that I learned from our roller coaster riding ancestors is, you only get to live through a revolution once, so enjoy it while it's happening. For KFAI in St. Paul, I'm Matthew Schneeman. Support for Mini Culture on KFAI has been provided by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Season six of the Mini Culture podcast is executive produced and edited by Julie Sensulo with editing help from Ryan Dawes and Melissa Olson. I'm your host, John Gibertatios. Thanks for listening, friends.